We're going to be in Revelation 17, but like usual, we won't be there quite yet. We're going to do just a brief review here as we prepare for our verse-by-verse exposition. And I believe we're going to be able to make it all the way to verse 14 tonight of chapter 17, 1 through 14. Uh, Babylon is a symbol. It's not a literal city. This is Babylon rides upon the beast. You're going to see why it's called that in just a moment here. Uh, We could say Babylon is a city or nation that's always with us until the Lord returns. And in John's day, it was Rome. Now, Babylon gets destroyed. And we could say that Babylon is destroyed over and over and over. But it always returns and and comes back. And that's what we're going to see taking place here. And uh, G.K. Beale says that uh, Babylon is the prevailing economic religious system in alliance with the state and its related authorities. Babylon exists in its various forms through the ages. And he states further, of course, the generally known fact that harlots in the ancient world, as today we have to talk about harlots, we have to talk about Babylon, offered their bodies for payment. And that only enhances the economic nature of Babylonian prostitute. So Babylon is separate from the government and separate from sanctioned state religion, but works with both of those. She rides upon the government and religion in cooperation as part of an economic system which allows for persecution by restricting work and controlling money. And some good examples, modern examples, that we could say are Babylonian today uh, would be like Russia, China, North Korea, Cuba, just to name a few. And you know what they all have in common, right? They're, they're all communist countries. They're communist countries which are very, very controlling and uh, are also persecutors, sometimes more, sometimes less. And uh, the one other thing they all have in common is not just communism, but atheistic communism as the official religion. Uh, although Putin would argue with that and say that, no, he's, he's part of the Russian Orthodox Church. And, and the Russian Orthodox Church, of course, has helped to uh, countenance and endorse the, the war in Ukraine. So there you go. But their history has been atheistic communism. So great harm comes, and persecution follows, but the alliances usually don't last very long. In fact, you're going to see Babylon overthrown in chapter 17, uh, starting in next week. And then her lovers mourning her destruction in chapter 18. And so she gets destroyed, they mourn, but then she comes back in other ways too. Now, Cuba is a good example, which was once atheistic, uh, but uh, Cuba in the past decade uh, allowed the Roman Catholic Church, the predominant religion among the people, to operate. They even uh, allowed a visit from the Pope to, to go there. And um, that really, uh, you know, that's not too exciting to me, except that it did open the door for our Reformed Baptist brethren uh, to have some measure of um, freedom there too. However, I am sad to tell you that things are cracking down once again, and persecution is rising once again in Cuba. So the economic pressures are upon the Christians. And this is Babylon rising to power, riding on the beast. 
Babylon's always doomed to destruction, no matter how prosperous and power she, powerful she appears. And there's imagery to remember. Uh, go to Revelation chapter 12. I'm just going to read a couple of selected verses here. Uh, in Revelation chapter 12, which I think is one of the easiest chapters to understand in the book of Revelation when we get into the, the symbolism. Uh, the dragon is obviously Satan, and he's trying to destroy Messiah. That's coming, giving birth to the male child. I mean, the male child is the Messiah. And, of course, Israel is the one that's giving birth to her. And, uh, the, and the woman is protected and uh, goes into the wilderness for she's nourished for a time and time and half a time. That's the famous three and a half, which usually means a period of time. The serpent um, tries to destroy the Messiah, can't do it, tries to destroy the woman, can't do it. And the woman morphs into the church. And verse 17, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And that obviously isn't Israel. You know, that's obviously the church. And let's remember, the first church was made up primarily of Jews. And uh, we have a religion that comes from Judaism, but it's better than Judaism because it completes Judaism, what was symbolized there. And those that um, are stuck in Judaism are stuck in a religion that cannot save them. That's just the simple facts of the matter. But Satan doesn't do his work alone. Uh, we see as we continue in verse 17 and on into 13.1, uh, and he stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Now, I just want you to note this. Ten horns, seven heads, ten diagrams, diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. Just, just mark that down, and you'll know who we're talking about in chapter 17. It's the same description there. And what it is, I believe, is anti-Christian government. Governments hostile to true Christianity, and there have been many in the past, never forget, persecution is still ongoing in the world today. But the beast, anti-Christian government, also has a helper, and this we see in chapter 13, verse 11. It's the second beast. I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it's allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives. Who does it deceive? Those who dwell on the earth telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And then it goes on like that. But basically what we need to see here is Satan, the beast, and what we will call the second beast or the false prophet uh, work together. These three continue to work until the end when they're finally destroyed. But there are two more symbols to remember as we go through this. Chapter 14 Verses 8 through 11, I just tell telling somebody before the service um, tonight that um, I have a feeling that much of chapter 14 that was read in our hearing just went right over everybody's head today. You know, because really, if you don't understand the imagery, you're just not going to get what's being said. 
you know, and and uh, and really the only way to have understand the imagery is to study hard and and work your way through. Um, we find Babylon here, chapter fourteen, verse eight. I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth. Again, those who dwell on the earth is always the lost, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice. Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or in his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured out full strength, into the cup of his anger, and he'll be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. So there's two more symbols that we find going along with the dragon, the beast, the second beast, the false prophet. We have Babylon. And we have those who have the mark of the beast. And it really isn't all that confusing. In the book of Revelation, the, those who have a mark reveal who they belong to. Okay, so the mark of the beast. You know, those are the dwell on the earth. Those are those that worship the beast. Those are those that take the mark of the beast. And you have, if you have the mark of the beast, it's your relation to Satan. And people keep looking for what the mark of the beast is, when's it going to come, when's it going to happen, what kind of computer chip is it going to be, or whatever like that. And they're missing a very obvious point. Nothing to do with computer chips. It has nothing to do with that at all. It's a mark of ownership. And God's people have his mark on them, an invisible mark. And Satan's people have the mark of the beast upon them. Those who do not worship God. And they make up the vast majority of every culture. Okay. So Babylon's always doomed to destruction, no matter how prosperous and powerful she may be. And uh, to sum it up, before we get into Revelation 17, Satan, the dragon, has four helpers. The beast, anti-Christian government. The second beast, false, the false prophet, anti-Christian religion. Babylon, a wicked economic moral system in alliance with government, and those with the mark of the beast, the lost who are against God, and that could be actively or passively. So that's basically what we have here. And a question might be asked, is it possible to have the mark of the beast and be saved? And I believe the answer is yes, because before conversion, we all had the mark of the beast. Scriptural proof for that, Ephesians 2, 1 through 13. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. So we do have in our modern um, 
expositions today of dispensationalism. Uh, the mark of the beast is only during the tribulation. You get the mark of the beast, you can never be saved. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that those are errors. I'm just telling you, I believe that those are errors. That the mark of the beast shows ownership, and it does belong to those in a lost condition. But Jesus takes his enemies and turns them into his children, or children of God. Okay, let's go to chapter 17 now. If you can remember all of that, what we see in the first two verses of 17 is a verbal picture. John's being told something verbally. 17.1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the judgment of the great prostitute who's seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth, there it is again, always the lost, have become drunk. Okay. So there's a verbal picture. I'm going to show you something. And he tells him, tells John what he's going to show him. And so in the Old Testament, we see Israel going after other gods. It's called spiritual adultery and prostitution. If you read the Old Testament, you're going to see it over and over again. As you listen to Pastor Ken go through the book of Judges, you're going to see it happen again and again and again. It, it's spiritual adultery. And it's covenant breaking, is what we're talking about. So, one of the angels who had the seven bowls, you've got to go back to remember about the bowls. And chapter 17 and 18 are about the seventh bowl, which is the last bowl, you know. Uh, Come to see the judgment of the great prostitute that's seated on many waters. Now, this prostitute is a counterfeit to the bride of Christ or the church. Remember? It's always counterfeits that we're talking about here. And she's a counterfeit. Christ's bride is pure, having been washed clean, converted. And Babylon is a prostitute. And just like a prostitute, she allures, she tempts, and she seduces people away from God. So Babylon is economic, like a harlot. And she can also incorporate all of the anti-Christian society with all of its allurements, not just money. All of its allurements. The promises of the pleasures of sin for a season. Anything to draw men away from Christ. And it can be seen everywhere in our own society. And it's been in other societies, all societies, basically, almost all. Uh, Bunyan um, pictured this in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, as Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair. So now we have a verbal picture of Babylon. Now we see a, a symbolic picture, a vision. Verse 3. And he, the angel, carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. Now what's in the wilderness? Well, the church is in the wilderness. We saw that in chapter 12. Okay. Carried me away into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had, what did it have? We saw it in chapter 13. Seven heads, ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple. Or, sorry, I didn't read it all. And we saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. We saw that, just a little different word order. It had seven heads, ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, 
holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality, and on her forehead was written a name, Mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Okay. Carried into the wilderness where the church was and where Satan follows to persecute the church and uh, does it through Babylon here. Now, she's riding on the beast, which is kind of interesting if you think about it. Babylon's riding on the beast. And generally, the rider is in control, right? The one that's riding, you, you have a horse, for instance. That horse is bigger than you. The horse is more powerful than you. But as you learn to ride and that horse is broken, that horse will obey you and, and do what you tell it to do. And you put bits in horses' mouths and make them turn and such like that. But if that horse wants to, that horse could throw you and stomp you and kill you. Doesn't happen very often, thank the Lord for that. But that horse can do that. Or try riding an elephant. You can get away with it. But if the horse, but if the elephant wanted to, he could pull you off, throw you to the ground, and stomp on you. And you'd be gone. Okay. Usually the rider's in control of something bigger than it. Okay. Usually. But it can go the other way. And that's exactly what happens in chapter 17 and 18. It goes the other way. So Babylon's riding on the first beast that we were introduced to in Revelation 13.1. And uh, Babylon appears to control the beast. What does Babylon do? She enriches the kings of the earth and she keeps people engrossed in the carnality that deceives the people and keeps them from Christ. She'll do anything to distract people and to give them the kind of things that they want. In a nutshell, Babylon is a wicked worldview, you know. And um, really, it's kind of interesting. Babylon isn't really out to destroy the dwellers on the earth. That's not what she's about. She's happy to be drunk herself and make them drunk. So they are out of their mind. They don't really see things the way they are. They can go on their life and live their life rather normally without a problem. She's out for Christians, out for the church of God. And so she tempts the people, the dwellers on the earth, tempts them with riches, tempts them with carnality, tempts them with all the sorts of things that you can think about that even in our own society people are tempted with. Nothing new. In the first century, people were tempted with all sorts of things like that too. And, and on through the ages, so it has been. Okay, so a wicked worldview. And verse 4, she appears to be beautiful. You know, uh, She holds in her hand a cup of what she's really about. You know, And um, we see that in our own culture too, and in other cultures. Uh, especially nowadays, um, if you were to cry against Babylon and the worldview of Babylon, and the way that things are in Babylon, guess what's going to happen to you? Well, maybe they'll be nice and just call you a bigot and ignore you that way, because you're just a closed-minded bigot. 
you don't know what you're talking about. Or, you know, they might even cancel you so you don't get a job. And you can lose your position of whatever it happens to be if you don't go along with the status quo. And she's drunk with the blood of the saints. And thankfully we don't have that kind of thing going on so much in modern day America. Things, you know, don't always happen every single way in every single place. But you never know what can happen. You never know how things can go. Uh, The origin of Babylon? Back to the Tower of Babel, right? Where they rebelled against God. And uh, then we see Babel all the way through. It becomes Babylon. And, you know, God used Babylon, right? Babylon in the ancient world was used by God. How? To actually punish Israel. Punished Israel. I just got through reading Jeremiah. And uh, just read Jeremiah chapter 52. It's horrible. It's shocking what happened, you know. And, and the devastation that came. Um, King Zedekiah, who would not, uh, would not listen to Jeremiah. Uh, long story short, he was finally kept. He was warned and warned and warned. If you, if you will just, um, you know, uh, go ahead and, and give in to the king of Babylon, he'll take you captive, he'll take you to his own land, but you will live. That's what Zedekiah was told. You will live if you do that. But he wouldn't. He was afraid of his advisors. He was afraid of others. And afraid of, afraid of false prophets that said, no, no. The Nebuchadnezzar is not going to capture us. You know, we're the people of God. We, we're, and they had false prophets that were saying, we're going to be safe. We're going to be okay. You know, don't listen to Jeremiah. They even tried to kill Jeremiah. And God's providence, they couldn't do that. Well, what happened to Zedekiah? He finally realized that he was in big time trouble. Tries to escape. In the middle of the night, goes out through the gate, makes it a little ways away, but he's soon found. As he's captured, he's not captured alone. He's captured with uh, his family and many of his close uh, constituents and advisors. What happened to him is just horrible. Uh, They kill his children in front of his eyes. So he gets to watch that. And then they take out his eyes so he can't see, bind him hand and foot, take him to Babylon where he dies. Becomes a picture, an ugly picture of what can happen. Um, But anyway, that's Babylon, you know. And God had raised up Babylon for that very purpose. But when Babylon's raised up, guess what happens? God also destroys Babylon too, you know. Whatever means it takes. And in Babylon's case, it was the Medes and Persians that came in, in a night, and, and captured Babylon. Uh, we could say, they didn't have guns, but you could say without firing a shot. They just came in and took over, you know, which is really an amazing thing when you think about that was the greatest nation on earth, you know. Okay, verse 5 of 17. We're in verse 5, her name is not Mystery Babylon, Uh, That's the way that it reads in in some translations. But I think this is a good translation. I'm using the ESV for this series. A little bit easier to understand Revelation with it. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and earth's abominations. Okay. Now, mystery 
is something in the Bible that isn't like a, an Agatha Christie mystery you have to try to figure out. That's not what a mystery is. Mysterion in the Greek has to do with something that could not be known unless God revealed it. That's a biblical mystery. Something that couldn't be known unless God revealed it. And we see that pointed out here uh, as we look at verse 6 and 7. Um, uh, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Verse 7, but the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. So this is a biblical mystery. It's going to be solved here. So Babylon, just to conclude here, according to verse 6, she's a contrast to all that's godly. Her ways are the ways of death. Just read Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, the way of the prostitute. She especially delights in persecuting the people of God, but she doesn't necessarily attack the dwellers on the earth. Sometimes she does. Sometimes she's so cruel that she'll attack them. And um, the, the countries that I've mentioned to you before have uh, something else in common besides being atheistic uh, countries uh, with an atheistic religion. So there are also places where there was great mass executions. You know, in, in, like in China, millions of people died. And they weren't necessarily Christians. You know, so that can happen that way. Um, Cambodia would be another one that we could talk about, the killing fields of Cambodia. So we see these things happening even in our own day. But uh, she's a contrast to all that's, that's godly. And usually the way she operates is to just leave the dwellers on the earth alone. You know, make them drunk with riches, make them drunk with pleasure, make them drunk with the things of this world. Don't let them think about uh, the world to come or God or anything like that. As long as they're distracted, distracted in sin, she's happy and content with that. That's usually the way she operates. Now, like I said, Babylon's pictured in Pilgrim's Progress, Vanity Fair. I'll just say this. I've said this once before, but I'll say it once again. I won't turn you there. But when we get to Revelation chapter 21, we're going to see the bride of Christ. And she's the exact opposite of the prostitute Babylon. Because Babylon's a prostitute, and uh, the bride of Christ is pure. She's the wife of the Lamb. And Babylon's dressed in gaudy jewels and purple. And uh, the church uh, that we're talking about, shining with the radiance of God's reflected glory. And you can see that uh, in 2111. Okay. And, of course, that's talking about um, the church as uh, purified in the final state. And then Babylon, full of impurities and murder. And the church, often being made to shed her blood as a martyr for her Lord. She makes the inhabitants of the earth drunk, and she herself is drunk. So she martyrs the people of God, verse 6, bloodthirsty, persecutes the saints, and has been true through the ages. And uh, what is their crime? What is the crime of these Christians? The crime is believing in salvation through Jesus Christ the Lord. That's what their crime is. It runs counter to Babylon's goals because she hates the truth. So if Babylon can't get those who know the Lord to compromise, she'll try to destroy them. 
Now, we're going to read verses 7 through 14. I'm going to tell some men beforehand that this is about as difficult as it can be. There's some things that are very obvious. We'll look at the very obvious here, you know. And then you can ask Evan for the more difficult ones. Okay, so. <laughs> kidding, kidding him there. 7 through 14. Let's, let's read it together here. Um, the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was, is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will marvel to see the beast because it was, is not, and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, and the other is not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They'll make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. What we see here is a good example of how things are recapitulated spoken about over and over again. And verse 14 of chapter 17, I think, could actually be considered the theme of the book. They'll make war on the Lamb. They, that's all of the enemies that we've talked about, the dragon, the beast, the second beast, those with the mark, uh, those um, in Babylon itself. They'll make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those with him are called, are, sorry, those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Obviously, talking about Christians. Okay, so verses seven and eight. Let's go back up to there. We see a marked contrast between what is false and be destroyed, and what is eternally true. If there's any doubt about who have the mark of the beast, it should be clear they're the ones who are the dwellers on the earth. And all of this is under the control of God. And remember, the beast appears to uh, the beast appears, and all the lost to worship the beast. We saw that in thirteen eight. They received a mortal wound. We didn't look at that again, but you can look at it later. Thirteen twelve through fourteen. It appears to have a mortal wound, rises from the dead, but rises only for destruction, as it says here. So the present persecution, the first century church and all since has endured, is real, but localized and restrained by the hand of God, who deals with all things. And we'll deal with that more when we get to Revelation 20. Now back to verse 9. Okay. Seven heads, seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Really, probably the easiest um, of these descriptions here. Um, you know, it, it's obviously Rome built on, on seven hills, you know. And for the first century church, Rome was it. That was her persecutor. It was the Jews at first, 
and then it became Rome uh, to a great extent. So this is what we see in verse number nine. Um, uh, you know, and I think that's pretty self-explanatory uh, when it says, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. And so at that particular time, uh, Babylon, you know, uh, and, uh, and uh, the beast is for them Rome, you know. What happened to Rome? Destroyed. Rome was destroyed. We say, well, Rome's still a city. Yeah, it's still a city, but it's not the city that it was, you know. And, um, of course, um, the Roman Catholic Church has, to a great extent, taken up what um, ancient Rome used to be. That's why it's called the Roman Catholic Church. You know, it is. So, anyway, it's a good expression of that. And Babylon, a good expression of the first century, you know. And then verse 10. That's a it's tough, I'll be honest with you. It's very, very tough. Seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. So we'll try to deal with that a little bit more next week. I'm still not uh, totally convinced in my own mind. So I just have, sometimes you have to say, I don't know. I don't know what, what that means. You know, I'm not quite sure. Uh, if it's meant to be taken literally, that there are, are literally these kings, five of whom have already fallen, as it's written here, um, you know, we'll, I'll try to do a little more research on that and, and figure that out. And then the beast himself is an eighth of the seven. And this we see coming here um, uh, there, uh, in verse number 11. And for the beast that was and is not, it's an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. Got a bit of an idea what I think that means, but I think I'll wait and try to, to unlock the other a little bit more here. But I think the, the whole point is that the beast is, is uh, just around. And he's around, and he continues to be around. And, um, and uh, of course, will eventually be destroyed there. And then in verse 12, another toughie. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. A lot of speculation about what that happens to be, you know. And um, the, the general dispensational view is that, well, that's the, the ten countries of the European common market. But, you know, there's a whole lot more than, than ten countries in the European common market. Uh, that worked a little better in the 70s, but... Uh, you know, it doesn't work out so well anymore. Uh, I don't think that's what it means anyway, but uh, we need to be very, very cautious when we say we know what something means, and then uh, we can be proven wrong later. We just need to be humble as we come to the book of Revelation. So we'll, we'll explore that a little bit more and see what we can find out. But we see the general sense of what's happening here. It's rebellion against God, and it's um, persecution of the saints. And it's the, the drunkenness and the drugging down of people so that they won't think about eternity. They won't think about the future. They won't think about eternity. Instead, they just go on with their daily lives, be it mundane or if it be riches. Whatever it happens to be, they go on with their daily life. And, of course, nobody lives forever. Nobody lives forever. The dwellers on the earth always come to a terrible end unless they turn to Christ, you know unless they renounce the mark 
and renounce those, those things of, of evil, darkness, and principalities and powers and turn to the Lord. They're all united of one mind, verse 13. Almost done here, just, uh, we're going to stop at 14. These are all of one mind. And they hand over their power and authority to the beast. And no doubt that is very significant. Whatever the kings happen to be, uh, and the number of them, the one thing they have in common is they align with the beast. They want to be part of that wicked, godless system. Anti-Christian government is what they align with. They're against God's people, they're against God, and they're against the Lamb. So that's what we have going on there. Verse 14, they cannot and they will not win. If there's anything clear in the book of Revelation, it should encourage us as it encouraged the first century Christians. No matter how bad things appear, no matter how horrible things are. And we as Americans have had it about as good as probably any people on the face of the earth probably still do when you come right down to it, as bad as things are. And we still have it about as good as any people have ever had it on the face of the earth. We just forget the, the horrible things that people have gone through in times past and such like that and the way that they've been treated. Even, even if you go back into Western European history, the feudal system, and, and things like these are terrible times. These are, are wicked times, you know, that happened. So we've been really blessed uh, to live in the time that we live in. We've been really blessed to live in the country that we live in. You know, I know we get really upset with our country, and, and rightfully so, because we see so many terrible things happening. But, um, you know, under the lightest of persecution, we complain, you know, when others have literally given their blood and literally given whatever they had to give, literally been driven out, you know, and chased. So we've, we've had it good, and that's in the providence of God, too. It's not because we're better than anybody. It's just God's providence to us that we can be thankful for, you know. So if anything's clear in Revelation, it's the Lamb wins. And during the present age, the beast and all in alliance with the beast can take the mortal lives of God's people. But they can never take our soul. And it doesn't matter how much they align, though hand join in hand in wickedness, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And we are the called and chosen and faithful if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in him. And then be faithful to the Lamb, and as we're told others in scriptures, be faithful even to death, and I'll give you the crown of life, taken from Revelation chapter 2. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your words, some of it very hard to understand. We're not surprised we find much of Ezekiel hard to understand, much of Daniel hard to understand, much of Isaiah hard to understand, even parts of Jeremiah hard to understand, the, the minor prophets that we've looked at uh, sometimes hard to understand. But we know the overall arching message of your word, which is Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and we're to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Lord, that's a message for all eternity. And so we tell people about the Lamb. Some 
Father, receive and believe. And how thankful we are that someone told us or that we heard a message preached. Lord, what a great thing it is when you come upon a heart. But Lord, it would appear for most of the times, a vast majority, just go on living their life. Not even necessarily concerned or worried. Being relatively happy even. And finding ways to be happy so they can forget what maybe troubles their conscience and troubles their mind. So they don't have to think about these things. Or being duped by false religion to think that they're fine and to think that they're okay. These are great deceptions, Lord. But you are the God who never loses. All of your elect will come. You win. Whatever kings happen to come, you are the king of kings. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, continue, we pray, to bless us. May we look to you and trust you. As we go through this series, I pray that you'd help us to do so to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.